So, my name is Matt Weed, for those of you who do not know me. And to start, we're going to do a territorial acknowledgement, which is to say that we are on Treaty 1 territory and that this is the traditional homeland of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the OG Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples. And it's the traditional territory of the Métis Nation. And we acknowledge this, number one, to tell the truth about how we came to be in this place, and to tell the truth that um, folks who look like me have not kept treaty, have not been faithful to treaty. And sometimes I elaborate more than that, but I'll leave it at that today, because it should just kind of get left there and feel uncomfortable. So, I also like to segue, so I'll talk about uncomfortable, because today we're going to talk uh, about some things in the Sermon on the Mount. And the things that Jesus has to say on the Sermon on the Mount should make us uncomfortable. Um, in hopefully constructive ways, um, and so today we're gonna we're gonna talk about the passage where he talks about turning the other cheek, turn the other cheek, walk a second mile. These are these are phrases that have entered our language, right? They're they're things we'll often use in shorthand to turn the other cheek is to kind of be passive, uh, to not stick up for yourself, maybe. Uh, going the second mile is to put in extra effort to uh, do something above and beyond called a duty. And those are both interesting concepts, but those completely miss the point of what Jesus had to say. Um, so first, um, also as we get into this, um, particularly the turn the other cheek one, um, I want to acknowledge the way that that has been used and abused um, by the powerful to tell the weak to just take it, to just put up with what's being done to them. Um, the slave should accept the beating that the wife should put up with her husband abusing him because that is love apparently. And so that's an abuse of these ideas, and I just want to put those out there, and if there's any lack of clarity in what I have to say going forward, I want to acknowledge those that we've taken one of the best things that Jesus had to say, and we've used it in one of the worst ways possible. Um, and we have a bit of a sad history of doing that kind of thing. Um, but... I'm going to just uh, read here from Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And um, in the Sermon on the Mount um, is, is kind of the, the biggest single collection of Jesus' teaching in any of the Gospels. It's, it extends over three chapters, and it's really the core of Jesus' vision for the way that we can live Differently, the way that we can live in what he calls uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his Father, the kingdom of the heavens, variously. 
um, that, that this, there's a different reality that's breaking in and amongst us that he is inaugurating, that he is, that he is announcing, that he is bringing to pass, and that we get to live differently than we've been living. We no longer have to live trapped in the ways we've been living. And, 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 he, as, as he, and so in this context, this is supposedly close to the start of his ministry in, in the Gospel according to Matthew. And people are following after him. He's performing signs and wonders. He's healing the sick. He's embracing the outcast. And people are wondering what's going on with him. So they follow after him. He goes up onto a mountain. And he sits down and starts teaching them. And now for the early Jewish audience, this would have been a very clear... Um, there would have been a very clear uh, reference to when uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, when they came up out of Egypt and they went into the desert and they came to the mountain, Moses went up on the mountain, met with God, and came down with God's words written on two, two stone tablets, the, the, the Ten Commandments. And, and so this is, this is a clear like, parallel to that story, going up on the mountain to hear from God, to hear the words of God. And except this is a little less dramatic, it's Jesus. Instead, the drama here is in the words that he's saying, the ways that he is overturning uh, every way that we have come to consider normal and good to live together. And so he says a lot of things here in uh, chapter 5. He does the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who mourn, uh, the people that you would not consider blessed in any way, shape, or form. And then he goes into a number of, you have heard it said that I say unto you, teachings. And in, in those things, he's overturning tradition. He's even directly questioning uh, the Torah, the law uh, given to them, they believe, by Moses. And so here, here, toward, here at the end of chapter 5, this is starting in verse 38 and into the end of the chapter, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And so this is a passage that seems kind of awkward. I was talking to, um, I was talking to my wife about this uh, as I was preparing, and um, she was saying, sounds like just being a pushover, basically. Sounds like just Kind of, yeah, being a pushover, being weak. She didn't like it. And I can understand why. 
because if you if you think about it that way, it is um, being weak now, which in and of itself, there's some interesting things we could talk about because Jesus talks a lot about what weakness and strength are actually all about and how we frequently get those wrong. But this whole turn the other cheek, walk the second mile, love your enemies kind of thing is something that we in the church have struggled with a lot, struggled to understand it and struggled to live it. Um, And so there's probably no other um, passage, generally for the Sermon on the Mount and specifically for love your enemies, there's probably no other passage that Christians have done uh, more effort to either explain away or just ignore, probably. Because... um, because this doesn't really let us do the kinds of things we're used to doing, but that's probably part of the point. So one of the one of the ways that this has been interpreted, and that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to talk about a couple of ways maybe this has been misunderstood. I'm going to go into a bit of how Jesus' uh, listeners would have heard this, and then maybe what we can hear from this today. And so a couple of things that I grew up with. I, I grew up hearing uh, in church that I grew up in, grew up hearing that this was like an impossible ideal. That, you know, Jesus was saying, you know, kind of contrasting the old law with his new law, and his new law was even harder, right? Even like tougher. And his law was even more impossible. This was an impossible ideal to live up to, to love your enemy. And this was so that we could be convicted of our sins and um, repent of them, confess them, ask Jesus into our hearts so that we can go to heaven when we die. Basically, this was just a way to drive further home the point that we're terrible and we can't live up to God's ways. So that's one way that I've heard this explained. It's kind of crap. Um, Another way that this has been explained is just mostly to avoid it. Um, Mostly to avoid it. Forget all about Jesus saying anything about loving our enemies. And just carry on with the business of being good Christians who go to battle against the heathens and kind of make sure that we win and they lose and that's going to mean that God is glorified or something. So that's another way that this has been uh, misunderstood. I really wish I remember... um, There there was another... There was another way that I heard it. I I heard somebody saying that um, they had a son who was in the army and he couldn't kind of get on board with this Jesus stuff. It it sounded too limp for him. And so, so this person tried to give an explanation. It clearly didn't stick with me, so I don't know why I mentioned it. Um, but people are always trying to, to, to work their way around this love your enemy kind of business. Um, or alternately, just feeling awful and horrible that they can't do it. And that's a, that's a surefire way to uh, lovingly engage with the world, is just to feel hopeless. Um, so, so to go into the Roman context, the first thing to understand is that the people who are following Jesus here uh, weren't like me. Uh, they were very uh, poor and oppressed. They were under the boot heel of the Roman Empire. Um, probably they were also not very good Jews. They were, they were probably uh, Jews from kind of like the outskirts of Judea, so they, the Jews were probably looking down on them as well. 
And so they were like double A outcasts. They weren't Romans. They weren't good Jews. They were the riffraff, the rabble. And, but this Jesus seemed to be embracing people like them. They were taxed probably about 90% under, under Roman occupation. So they were basically uh, starving, dying, unable to feed their children. They were having a tough time of things. And so when you have that kind of hopelessness, you have, you have this desire to overthrow your oppressors, to meet them violence for violence, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as Jesus says earlier, that we want to fight back. Um, and, and Jesus, and that's the kind of Messiah people were expecting. People were expecting the kind of Messiah who was going to rise up and help them, bring them together, and kick out the Romans, right? We'll, we'll rise up and we'll do that. Um, and Jesus had some pretty negative things to say about that. He had some very, even in other places, apocalyptic things to say about that. He says, basically, it's going to be like the end of the world, which he was right. That happened in about 60 years, uh, well, probably about 30 years after his death, about 80, 60. Uh, the Jew, there was an uprising of the Jews and... They kicked out the Romans, but the Romans came back, and they were a lot stronger, and they destroyed the whole city and the temple, and that was the start of the Jewish diaspora that continued up until the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in the 40s. But, so in this context, there's this desire to have an uprising, to have a revolution, because we're so legitimately oppressed and being taken advantage of and being destroyed and we're starving and we're dying and we're ashamed. And so in this context, when, when Jesus says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him also your left so this sounds just very passive, just one more, um, one more uh, shame, one more degradation, one more way that they are expressing whoever they are, whoever this person above me who's striking me, their superiority. Um, so what's interesting is all, all three of these stories are actually... Um, in a different cultural context than our context. We don't know how to understand them right off the hop, so I'm going to help provide a little bit of context here. So um, there weren't toilets or toilet paper yet in the time that this was being talked about, uh, nor seashells. Demolition man, anyone? Anyone? No. It's too bad. Um... So, generally speaking, your left hand was your hand to deal with your business, to deal with whatever needed to be dealt with in the aftermath of, uh, of, of your bowels moving. So, your left hand was dirty, it was unclean. So this was not a hand that you interacted with socially in any way, shape, or form. Um, uh, one thing I read even said in... Um, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were from a Jewish uh, sect, a community at Qumran, uh, there's something, if you like, point at someone with your left hand, even gesture towards them, you would be 
expelled from the community for bringing impurity into it. So this was something you just didn't interact with people with at all. You only interacted with people with your right hand. Is that why being left-handed was such a bad rap? That's part of why left-handed was such a bad rap. So, yeah, because all the cultural norms around this kind of thing, it didn't matter if you wanted to be left-handed because everybody knew the left hand was dirty, was unclean. So that's one of the, one of the sources of that for sure, which yeah, tougher tougher left-handed people, <laughs> um, tough for lots of people who aren't in the majority. Um, so so to strike somebody on the right cheek with your right hand, uh, does does somebody does somebody want to come up here and do a little play acting with me? You can pretend to hit me. Sure. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> okay. So, just in case. So with your right hand, mm -hmm. if you're going to hit me on the right cheek, how would you hit me? Backhand. You'd have to do a backhand. Yeah. Right? So you, right? Right. So, that, that was hard. <laughs> uh, no, just wait, just wait. Um, so that is, in, in that culture, the, uh, the, the backhand is a gesture of disrespect from a superior to an inferior. It wouldn't generally be done to injure. It would be done to say, you are less than me, get in your place. So you just struck me on the right cheek. Mm -hmm. And now I turn to you my left. Now, how are you going to hit me with your right hand, backhanded, right? You're going to have to, it's, it's awkward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see, so you're going to have to punch me or you're going to, or you're just going to be confused, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Or you slap me. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That, so that so that's a that's a little demonstration there. Um. So, so what this is doing is it's breaking out of of the seemingly available options in the situation. So somebody who would be slapped on the right cheek, given the backhand, this is something that would have happened to lower people. Slaves, uh, you know, serfs, peasants, whatever, like the, the unwashed masses, the hoi polloi, whatever you want to call it. The people at the bottom rung of, of, of the situation, they're gonna, they, they will have tasted that backhand to their right cheek numerous times in their life. You are less than me. So what do you do in that situation? So that you can do two things. You can just take it and you can die a little bit inside and you can be filled with shame. Or you can fight back, and then you get to die for real. You don't just die a little inside, you just get to die. They're going to throw you up on one of those crosses, one of those imperial torture devices that litter the countryside to show what happens when you rise up against your betters. So those are your choices. Those seem to be your choices. Those seem to be your two choices. Die a little in inside, or die up on one of those cross things. Get tortured to death as an example to other people, to stay in your place. And so what Jesus is saying to these people, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn your left one also. Now you've broken out of, now you've broken out of the options. Now you are no longer just passively receiving what is happening to you. Now you are making an active statement to say, Hit me on my left cheek. The only way to do that is to punch me. 
And punches are something that happens between equals, not between up and down, not between master and slave. So what you're doing when you are turning the other cheek, now you are not responding violently, but what you are doing is you are exposing the violence and the injustice of the situation for all to see. And you're saying, come on, hit me. Hit me, I'm your equal. We are the same, we are equal. You are not better than me. And this would be very frustrating <laughs> for the person who is doing the backhanding initially. They are, they are going to be flustered, frustrated, confused. I mean, you might still wind up up on one of those crosses in this situation. That could happen. Or the person might just walk away frustrated. But what you've done here is you've flipped the script. You've opened things up. You've brought in a new possibility here. And you've said, no, you are not better than me. And what you are also doing in this situation is you are saying, but I'm not better than you. This is a love of enemy. Because a true love of enemy does not allow an enemy to continue in error, in untruth, in oppression. Um, this, is, this is a kind of thing that Martin Luther King Jr. had a lot to say about. He said, he said that you know, the oppression against black people certainly, of course, hurt black people primarily, but it hurts the white man as well, he would say. It does them harm. It eats away at their soul as well, because we are all a part of each other. And so all of these, all of these things where we pretend that some of us are better than others, that some of us deserve to rule over other people by whatever accident of birth that we happen to have, that, that has no place in the kingdom of God. And so this is a creative uh, mode of nonviolent resistance towards that which oppresses. It's saying, you, 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 are, you are free to hit me as an equal. And in so doing, we will expose the lie of our inequality for all to see here. And if you overreact and throw me up on one of those crosses, we have stepped well outside of the bounds of the supposedly sacred order that makes you better than me. Now you've just gone and lynched me, right? This isn't just a rebellion. I didn't do anything. All I did was I showed you my left cheek and invited you to treat me as an equal. Now, the, the second one is if somebody sues you for your cloak, give them also your coat. So this, again, totally different cultural context. Uh, does it, th 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 this, one, this, this one doesn't have may maybe quite the same resonance uh, for me just because I don't know what it's like to be that poor. But um, in this context, um, what was allowed to happen is that you could, um, if you were in debt to somebody, they could sue you for your cloak, your overgarment. Uh, now, your cloak in those days was not just um, was not just your overgarment to, to keep you warm and everything. It was actually just tended. If you're particularly poor, you're probably sleeping out in a field somewhere. It's actually your like uh, blanket. It's your bedroll as well. And so there was a there was a concession in the Jewish law for this that you could, if you were indebted to somebody, they could sue you for your cloak but they had to give it back to you every night so that you could at least not be too cold while you were sleeping. So there was like a slight bit of harm reduction there. Um, 
And so what this is saying is you're going to the court and he's suing you for your cloak because that's going to help you pay back your debt, of course. I mean, this is the preposterousness, um, and we still, uh, we still have those kinds of poor houses today. They're called prisons. And so what it's saying is, if he's asking you for your jacket, give him everything you're wearing. And so, again, different cultural context. Of course, if, if I were to strip down to no clothes here, I would probably tend to be the one who felt ashamed. Everybody else would feel a bit awkward. So, you know, I won't, I won't do another uh, demonstration here. <laughs> but in a Jewish context, the shame of viewing nakedness entirely fell on the people seeing it. And so what this is saying is if somebody's like getting you half naked already, taking away your clothing, your, your, your pride, go all the way. Follow this all the way down to the end and just take off all your clothes and then, and then see what they're going to have to say about things. Just strip naked and they're going to feel the, 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 the shame that would have been felt and experienced by the people viewing you stripping down to nothing. Again, it's really hard to translate that into our culture but it would have been a deep shame. And so what you're doing here is, again, you're flipping the script, you're turning the system around. You are saying that you are exposing the fact that this, this whole thing is supposed to shame me, but really it's shaming you to do this to a brother or sister. And, and not only that, like this would have been hilarious to the people listening to this imagining somebody stripping naked in front of their creditor and making them feel that bad. This would have been, like, like we're, the, the humor is lost on us, but, but, but people would have been, like, like, yeah, definitely getting, like, pain in their side from laughing so hard. That would have been the context here. I can't deliver it that way because we're in a totally different cultural context. But that's the way this would have been heard. This is creative nonviolent resistance. Third one. Go the second mile. So, if anyone, if anyone forces you to walk one mile, go with him also a second mile. So this one, you have to understand some Roman military protocol to understand this one. Roman military protocol, the Roman legions, which were, Roman legions are the way that they conquered and maintained the peace, the Pax Romana. Uh, the peace of Rome was the peace that as long as you do everything we tell you, we won't kill you. That's the peace of Rome. Um, uh, we, we certainly live in an age where there is a Pax Americana as well. Similar kinds of things. We'll have peace as long as you do what we tell you to do. Now, one of, one of the things in this situation, so as a Roman legionnaire, uh, you... Uh, had a very um, heavy backpack filled with all your gear, all your equipment. It would have been probably about 75 pounds. So, you know, you're, you're, you're humping a pretty good pack here. That's tiring. And so when you're on the march, you don't want to necessarily be carrying this pack. And one of the provisions in Roman law was that a Roman citizen could, and a Roman legionnaire particularly, could 
grab any random person they happen to come across and command them to carry their pack for them for one mile. And and a mile was very easy to discern because the Romans were very proud of the roads that they marched their legionnaires down and they had mile markers every mile so everybody would know when their mile was up. Now again, imagine you are a person listening to Jesus. You are under the boot heel of this empire. You are starving. Your children are starving. You are not doing very well. So you are, you are just trying to eke and scrape out a living, and you're just going about your business, and then some soldiers come along, somebody grabs you, throws their pack at you, and now you have to carry this pack down a dirty road, and then you've got to walk a mile back just to get back to where you were started to go do whatever it is you were going to do, trying to scrape out a living here. Bad times. What are your options? What are your options? Well, your options seem to be, again, die a little inside and just do it, and also prevented from like doing whatever you're doing to try and scrape out a living for you and your family. Or you can fight back and, oh, guess what? This is a professional Roman soldier. Yeah, you're definitely going to die very quickly, um, hopefully. Because if it's not quickly, it's going to be very painful. So again, those seem to be your options. But Jesus is saying, now in this situation, walking along, so you take, you take the pack a mile. Now, at the end of the mile, the, the legionnaire has to take his pack back, otherwise he is breaking military protocol. And he is liable to come up on trial by his superior officer if he is abusing his power. His power is only a mile, just a mile. And so now knowing this, you, you, you reach the end of the mile, and the legionnaire's like, okay, I've got to take my pack back now. And instead, and so he stops, so he hits the mile marker, he stops. He's like, oh, I've got to get my pack back. All the, other, all the other Jews ran off when they saw us coming. Now I have to carry my own damn bag. Oh, this is the worst. Except for this Jew keeps walking. Happily, trudging along, and suddenly now you have again a scene. Like, so what does the soldier do now? Like, does he start fighting the Jew to get his bag back? <laughs> like, this would this would just and and like I'm gonna get in trouble here. And g- give me that. Like, ah. and so it would have been very flustering. Again, this is probably a probably one that would have had Jesus listeners like yucking it up, just imagining this scenario of like a Roman legionnaire trying to fight you for, for his pack to get it back from you. And so what you're doing, again, in this situation is you're exposing the system of oppression that you're in. You're exposing that this system is, again, doing us all harm, and I am loving you the best way I can, Roman legionnaire in my freedom, this freedom to love that I'm finding and following Jesus, I am expressing that love the best way I can by exposing the lie that makes you able to command me, that makes me less than you. And so this is the kind of thing that Jesus is telling his followers that they should live that they should live in a way that is passive in a sense, 
in the sense of not fighting back with fists or swords or weapons. Instead, fighting back with love, fighting back with creativity, fighting back with not getting trapped into the logic of the situation because you have, you are operating by a different logic now, a logic of love, a logic of the life of the ages, a logic of the kingdom of heaven, the logic that says that if you strike me down, God will raise me up. And so what I'm going to do here is to help you and everyone who sees us come face to face with the injustice that is occurring here. And that is the most loving thing I can do in this situation. And I am trusting my life to God. And this is exactly the kind of thing that the cross is. Right? This is the same kind of model of Jesus on the cross. Is Jesus letting us kill him, lynch him, uh, to, to bring ourselves together and trusting himself to God that God would raise him up. That, that, that his life, that the life that we have, the, the, the source of this life that we've been created by and with that moves in uh, the Apostle Paul later talking to the, to, to the Greeks says, in him we live and move and have our being, that we are always together living in the reality of God and in these acts of nonviolent resistance, I'm trying to wake you up to see, to be convicted of sin and repent of it and receive a different kind of life, a different way of being together in which we are all equals because we are all children of God. And it's saying that God does not count anybody as in and out. Right in the passage, God makes his reigns to fall on the good and the evil, sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. There is no difference between all of us. We are all God's children. Some of us occupy roles in this human constructed social order of oppressors, and some people, some of us occupy the social role of the oppressed. But all of us need an escape from that role so that so that we can learn to love our enemies, right, is, is, is what this passage is talking about. That we, we learn, ultimately, that to even have enemies in the kingdom of God is, to some degree, an illusion, is a lie. But in, in the actual order that we live in, we do have enemies, we do have in and out, we have clean and unclean, up and down, and what Jesus is saying here is, I am here with the kind of life and love that overturns all of this, that gives you the possibility of being together in a very different kind of way, in the way that the only sacrifice is a self-sacrifice, and it cannot be commanded or demanded of anyone. It can only be freely given as a gift. And so that's where when I said earlier that when these kinds of things turn the other cheek are commanded of people, we get it completely wrong. Because this can only be a gift that we give to our enemies, freely chosen, if we are going to be flowing here in, in the way of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that that starts to 
stoke your imagination a little bit. I hope that you can also recognize that it's hard for us. It's doubly hard for us. There's cultural distance, but there's also the distance where most of us in this room are more like the person doing the backhanding in the ways that we occupy roles within our society and our culture. We are not the people on the receiving end of this, or at least certainly people who look like me, I'm not on the receiving end of this kind of thing. So, um, so that makes it doubly hard for me to understand. I'm the person doing the violence structurally. I hope I'm not, but I'm the person who needs to have my eyes open and, and be paying attention for where, where God is trying to speak to me in these kinds of ways to call me out and call me into repentance in these situations. But in every situation, this, the, 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 the life that we find ourselves in, the, the, the creativity of the God who made us and loves us so much that he came in our midst, in the way that Jesus came in our midst, embodying the things he did, embracing the people he did, teaching the things he did, that there's a whole new thing available to us here. And, and we get to live this way. And we almost need to learn to live this way. I mean, we've gotten very used to the idea that at any particular minute, uh, we have created enough violence that we could destroy all of our life on this planet. We still have nuclear weapons, and so all of the and so we've we've kind of escalated a little bit from crosses and legionnaires in Jesus' time. The stakes are a lot higher right now. That we need to learn how to live together without killing each other, without doing violence to one another, without saying that some people are better than others, that some people are more deserving than others. And so there is. No time that I believe that this has been a more important thing for us to recover, that God is light in him, there is no darkness at all. That to follow in the way of Jesus is to beat our swords into plowshares. That to true, be, be true disciples is we need to give up on supporting wars, supporting oppression. And... Um, well, as, as Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Learn what it means instead of um, doing violence to receive it. But not passively, but creatively in a way that brings the possibility of something new.